Welcome to Book Back on SNY.TV. I'm Ian Begley, SNY's NBA insider, and I have two great guests today. We got Scott Perry, ESPN front office analyst, former GM of the Knicks, longtime NBA executive. And we have Dan Grassa, the pre and post host of uh, Nick Games there on ESPN radio. Uh, jack of all trades, Dan is, and he's going to join us to break down the Knicks. But let's start here, guys. Last night, at Barclays Center, Nets, uh, excuse me, Knicks shorthanded. They come back against the Nets. Uh, Mikael Bridges was very hot early on, and then the Nets just fell apart in the fourth quarter. Knicks take advantage. Knicks now 10 games over 500. I think this was a game that maybe passed Nick teams lose and you know leaves Nick Knicks fans feeling disappointed but they figured out a way of how to get it done in the fourth quarter and uh Scott let's start with you what was your big takeaway from this game last night well first of all thanks for having me on Ian and my big takeaway last night is the Knicks did what good teams are supposed to do on the road they went into Brooklyn um the better team they kept the game close uh, and then in the fourth quarter, as you mentioned, they made the decisive plays, both on the defensive end, allowing their defense to create offensive opportunities to get out, get some easy runouts to create some separation. I also thought they were the more aggressive team throughout as is evidenced at the free throw line. I think they were 18 or 19 at the, at the free throw line mm-hmm. while Brooklyn was just four or five at the line. So a lot of, when I see that disparity, uh, that says to me, uh, the one team is more aggressive at taking the ball to the basket. And, uh, and, and again, Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, you know, they did what they're supposed to do. Uh, and this is why they're a good team. They carried the scoring load. And then, you know, guys like OG and um, Josh Hart made big, big defensive plays down the stretch to help them get the win. Dan, what did you see? What was your big takeaway from last night? Big takeaway, Ian. First of all, always great to be with you guys is, you know, even though it was a road game, you could have fooled me. I thought that it sounded like it was at Madison Square Garden with all those Knicks fans <laughs> in, in yeah. the building uh, that traveled across the East River to get over to the Barclays Center. But look, I, I just kind of echo what Scott said there. I mean, this is what you're supposed to do. If you're a team like the Knicks, who's had a really, really good season and consider themselves one of the better clubs in the Eastern Conference, Nets are a team that you should beat. You know, and the Nets had that awful performance out there in the West Coast where they blew that big lead in the fourth quarter. Did it again last night, and for a shorthanded Knicks team to come up with that type of effort, it could have been easy to just roll over and say, hey, you know what? It's not our night. They made the plays. Scott mentioned Randall and Brunson. I mean, we're going to start to have conversations here, if we haven't had them already, just about where these two guys rank like all-time in the history of the Knicks as far as like dynamic duos. They've been that special for this basketball team, and you know that, that sequence late in the game when it was tied, when you had Josh Hart, that big block down on the defensive end of the floor, and then springing the transition game, which led to the big Randall jam. I mean, this team is so fun to watch. They play hard. And you know what? It's been a long time coming for the fans. Another thing there with last night was I thought Jericho Sims, uh, out of the rotation for a while, comes in and starts, and I thought he did really well, particularly early on in that game. I think he had four blocks in the fourth quarter, and then you had Precious Achua. Last couple of games, he started to look more and more comfortable, and I thought he really impacted the game on both ends. But Isaiah Hartenstein, I mean, that Achilles, something he dealt with last year, so I think the Knicks have to be careful there. Uh, Mitchell Robinson may be back 
late in the regular season. But, Scott, if you're looking at this thing, do you think the Knicks need to go bolster their front line uh, ahead of the trade deadline, or do you think they can stand pat there? No, I think they should stand pat, and here's why. And you've kind of touched on it. In Jericho Sims and now Preston Chachua joining the team, you have two guys who have shown that they are capable of holding it down, at least in the short term at the position. Jericho has shown the necessary athleticism, great footwork. Uh, he's super strong, and he can match up at that position and give and, and really does a good job of switching out. He's a very switchable defender, too, for a big. So he's proven that. Precious has done that in spots at his two previous spots, two previous places he's played in, in both Toronto and Miami. And then you have Julius Randle still there as an emergency five if you need him. And I think they can hold it down uh, very well until Isaiah Hardenstein gets back. I'm sure he'll be back before Mitchell Robinson, and hopefully eventually uh, Mitchell will be back uh, toward the very end of the season. Yeah, I, I agree with what Scott's saying with one little caveat there. If indeed you are confident in the fact that Mitchell Robinson will indeed return later in the season, right? Because other than that, I would be a little bit leery. Look, I'm encouraged by the last couple of games with Precious Achua, as Scott said, right? The Toronto game on Saturday was probably his best one as a Nick, and he followed that up last night. If you looked at Precious and Jericho Sims last night, I mean, they combined, what, 12 points, 13 rebounds, four blocks. That's a good from your two bigs. Now, what I have been saying even before Hartenstein went down with this latest foot ailment, which, you know, again, we, we don't think it's going to be too, too serious here. But the one thing that I'm concerned with a little bit, and maybe Scott could speak to this as somebody who's, you know, built teams before in the past. Isaiah Hartenstein is a guy who even last year, guy was playing about 20 minutes a game. You know, this is not a guy who's logged heavy minutes so far since coming into the NBA. Now, since he's taken over that starting role, Yes, he's producing, but playing 35 minutes a night, you wonder about that wear and tear over a long season if you're asking somebody to do that consistently if the production is going to start to wane a little bit. That would be my only concern. No, great points, Dan. You know, when you go from being a bench player to a starter, it is a lot different. Not only are your minutes increasing, the level of competition that you're playing against, you're playing against the other team's starting center now, which is going to require a, a little more, quite frankly. So that is a concern for sure. But I think when you talk about adding to the team prior to the deadline, I still think there's a more pressing need, even with the injuries right now up front. And that's probably finding someone who could be a, a scorer off the bench, who can create off the bounce and give them some uh, a viable scoring, especially as they start to play the better team. Yeah, let's jump right into that, Scott, because clearly that is uh, a position that the Knicks are looking into ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, I, I believe that, excuse me, Bruce Brown and, and Alec Burks have been squarely on their list. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, not as sure on that. Not sure if there's been uh, big conversations there between the Knicks and Portland. Uh, maybe that comes pr prior to the deadline, but clearly that's a, that's an issue that the Knicks are looking to address. And for you, Scott, is that how you, like, if you look at this team, look at what you have to move out, is that the deal you'd be focused on or would you be focused on something else ahead of uh, February 8th? You know, I would be focused on trying to find somebody, again, like what I just mentioned earlier, can feel that role, come off the bench, uh, can score you, capable of getting you 20 points if needed, uh, and, and also not sacrifice the integrity of, of your game defensively. The name that stands out most to me, obviously, is Alec Burks because he's been there. He's been in the mm -hmm. locker room. 
the players know him. So he would seem to be more of a seamless fit. A guy like Bruce Brown, and I love Bruce Brown's game. I think he's tough, he's physical, he fits a lot of places. But he's a little more of a duplication for what the Knicks already have in a guy like Josh Hart and, and somewhat in Dante DiVincenzo and somewhat in uh, Quentin Grimes. Uh, they're, you know, more defensive-oriented uh, players and not guys who really create off the bounce for you. Burks can do that. He can go get his own shot. Uh, doesn't cost as much. And he's played for the coach there already. So mm-hmm. he knows the system. Again, when you make trades in the middle of a season, uh, you're not only taking on a player's statistics and his abilities, but you're taking on the personality. And so uh, to me, if you have a known quantity that you could get back in your locker room, uh, to, that would be the ideal thing to do. Not that someone else who's never been there couldn't make it, but just if Alec Burke is in fact available, he would be someone that uh, I think would fit seamlessly in what the Knicks are trying to do right now. And I think another component to the Alec Burks acquisition, if it indeed happens, Scott and, and Ian, is think about how much of highly motivated a player you're getting. I mean, if you told anybody, hey, you can escape getting out of the NBA cellar to come play for the New York Knicks, a team that's a legitimate <laughs> playoff squad. I mean, that's all the incentive you'd have to tell me. I go from I go from the outhouse to the penthouse. I'm doing that. Where do I sign? But I, I think I, I think Scott hit it right on the head, right? I mean, it's a guy who's been here, and 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 you know, Scott knows this, and Ian, you know this. When he was here, he was you know, I think a selfless player for this team. You know, he kind of did whatever the team needed he to do, needed him to do, play whatever role he needed. I mean, the guy was starting a point guard there for a while just yes, because right. they needed somebody to do it. But, you know, there really hasn't been that much of a difference in his game with the Pistons versus what we saw in New York. He's still shooting at about 40% from three. And being here, playing for the coach, being with this team, some of the guys, I, it would be a perfect fit for sure. Next, we're going to go to my friend and your friend, Matt Spenley. He's got a fan question for us. Matt, what's up? So, here I am. Just, I, I like to make a grand entrance, that's all. I like to give it a second. Uh, okay, like ZJames21 <laughs> Z James 21 on YouTube is asking, considering the significant lack of bench scoring and creation and the stress it's putting on Jalen Brunson, why not go for DeJounte Murray and help the star you have rather than look for a new one? Yeah, you know what? It, it's a it's an interesting point. It's a name that's come up. We were going to get there anyway, but I, I appreciate the question because you know, I know that there are people within the Knicks that see DeJounte as a great fit next to Jalen Brunson, alongside Jalen Brunson. But I think what you see here is you see an Atlanta team that's going to be looking for a lot in return for DeJounte Murray, considering what they gave up not that long ago to get him in the building. So I could easily see Atlanta you know, holding on to DeJounte Murray past the trade deadline if nobody meets that high asking price. And also to me, if you're the Knicks and a Knicks fan, you're looking at the Lakers because they'll be in on DeJounte. They're in on Bruce Brown. I don't think they're trading for both of those guys, right? So, you know, one of those guys, if they go to LA, that leaves the other one still kind of dangling out there. But I, I, I still struggle to see the Knicks meeting that Atlanta price point unless it comes down. Murray, very talented player, but you look at what this Knicks starting five has done lately. They played really well. Team's playing well. I'm not saying that Murray wouldn't benefit the Knicks. I really think he would. I just, based on everything you're hearing, I don't think that they would meet that price point based on where it is right now. But let's say 
they did. Let's say Murray comes in and, and he's a Nick, and let's say Quentin Grimes, Evan Fournier picks go out. Uh, do you think, Dan, that he would really, really help this team in the short term? How do you see him fitting in? It, I, I mean, it's a splashy move. It's a big name, right? And individually, we know that he's an extremely talented player, but is he the right fit for this team? You know, like that's why when the trade was made with Toronto and OG Ananobi came over, you thought, okay, OG's a perfect fit for this team. I look at DeJounte Murray, it's, he's almost like the anti-OG, right? He's not really somebody who spaces the floor. I don't think he's that great of a defender. And you're talking about adding another ball-dominant player to Julius Randle and to Jalen Brunson. Is that going to help the greater good of this basketball team moving forward? Like I said, if we're playing fantasy and just, you know, getting a bunch of all-star type players in the lineup, that's great. But as far as the fit in the roster construction, I don't know if that's necessarily the best way to go. Yeah, I do Dan, think, I think, Dan, I think Dan, Oh, go ahead, Scott. I was going to say, Dan, you ready to be a GM. Those are excellent <laughs> points that you make right there. <laughs> no, those really are excellent points when you're talking about fit. You know, is he a more talented player than Dante DiVincenzo, right? Yeah, and the answer to that would be yes. But in terms of fit. Now, the one thing, I think we lost Scott for a second. The one thing that I would say uh, also with the Knicks and Hawks, I don't think it's just about DeJounte Murray or bust with the Knicks and Hawks. I think, you know, there'll probably be discussions on other potential deals. We reported that the Hawks are, are one of the several teams that have interest in Quentin Grimes, uh, along with Utah, Memphis, Houston, and many others, including including Dallas. So, you know, I think there's going to be other deals on the table for the Knicks to potentially make. Uh, but, you know, Knicks, Hawks, I don't think it's just DeJounte. I think a lot of those Hawks players are going to be available uh, as you get closer to February 8th. I think Atlanta is one of those linchpin teams at the deadline where once they start to make moves, maybe then you see some subsequent trades. If they hold things up until the 8th, then there might be a flurry on the eighth, but I think that's one of the teams along with Chicago and a few others that uh, everybody's kind of waiting to see which way they go with some of these players. But you guys should know for now that we are also on the putback on podcast form. So be sure to download us wherever you download your podcasts because we're there for you, not only here uh, digitally, but we're there too. So check us out there. But then, you know, for you, once you look at the, the big picture of this team, you know its strengths. You know its weaknesses. Is there a player we haven't mentioned uh, that you might target at the deadline if you're going out and trying to get somebody? Yeah, actually, you know what? And he's somebody that just got traded yesterday. And I think you know who I'm talking about, right? A, a, a guy who gave the Knicks fits in the playoffs last year with the Miami Heat. And I'm talking about Kyle Lowry, who got shipped over to the Charlotte Hornets. And look, I, I don't think that Charlotte has any designs on keeping him past the deadline for what Charlotte's not any good. So they'll either buy him out or look to move him. I mean, that to me, and I understand that, you know, he's not the player that he once was. You can never have enough Villanova Wildcats on the Knicks roster, right? So why not just add one more to the bunch? I'm going back but to you're looking for somebody to hold right. down that Ford as the backup one behind Jalen Brunson. Who better than a guy who knows how to win in Kyle Lowry? Yeah, you know, the interesting thing there is with any player on the buyout market, the Knicks actually have their biannual exception to use. And so, you know, there are teams that don't. They would just have, you know, minimum money to use. So they could have an advantage there financially where you're able to offer more money in the first year and tack on uh, another year to the deal. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on with Kyle Lowry. Uh, I think if, yeah. pardon me, if he wants to play significant minutes, 
you know, that's not going to – I'm not sure if he's going to have that opportunity here in New York given where the roster is right now. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they see Lowry as the answer as opposed to like an Alec Burks or a Bruce Brown or or Jordan Clarkson or what have you. But I'd be a little bit surprised if they had him penciled in in that role that they're looking at ahead of the deadline. So if you trade for somebody else – then you have Kyle Lowry. I don't know how many minutes you could offer Kyle Lowry in that role, but I think buyout market is certainly something to keep an eye on because of that exception that the Knicks have. And I know that they've been tied to Jordan Clarkson here and there. And I, I said it earlier, he's on a great contract. And uh, yeah, he just he has a high amount of respect within that organization. So I think you're going to have to pony up and offer a lot to Danny Ainge if you're going to go out and get Clarkson. Do the Knicks have an op- appetite for that? I- I'm not sure, but we'll see how things unfold here over the next couple of weeks, Dan. And uh, for you, this team right now, uh, obviously playing really well. I think you look at these this 10-2 mark, and they haven't blown out a ton of bad teams. They had a great win in Philly, uh, but some of these games have come down to the wire. So while the record has been good, they've beat the teams they're supposed to beat. I think uh, on many nights you're seeing where that need is for this team as a, as a secondary scorer off the bench, ball handler off the bench. But I think you have to give a lot of credit to Miles McBride, the way he stepped in and made shots and defended. And, you know, again, similar to Jericho Sims, not easy to do that. Coming from out of the rotation, being able to stay ready, be a professional uh, when you're not in there, he jumps in and he. I think he made a big impact for this Nick team, uh, regardless of, of what happens here at the deadline. No, you're absolutely right about that. And and, and look, even though the, the record is gaudy like it is at 10-2, and two, and I don't know how many of us thought that they would play that well in the immediate aftermath of that trading, but when it was made, I think that, okay, you're subtracting two valuable players for you, R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, and we all know about the role that OG Ananobi fits for this team. But, I mean, that was the thing that stuck out initially about who was going to replace that scoring that IQ gave you off the bench, right? That jolt of offense. And they haven't necessarily found that. But now what's interesting is that they're still winning games, even though that the bench production is not anywhere near what it used to be. And they're winning games while the other team's reserves are outscoring the Knicks reserves, you know? So you're putting way too much of an emphasis on your starting five and and making them produce. Granted, you've got two all-stars in Randall and Brunson, and DiVincenzo's been good, giving you consistent, you know, double-digit scoring each and every night. Hartenstein, rebounding machine. OG does his thing and just kind of blend in. But there is going to come a point here where you're going to play teams that aren't bottom feeders, that are playoff-caliber teams, when you're going to need some other guys, role players to step up. And, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about it already on the show today. They need to go out and add one more of those guys. It's a little bit more dependable to ease some of that scoring burden off of your starters. Right, right. And, and Dan, but in the here and now, I mean, you look at Jalen Brunson, you look at Julius Randle. I mean, these guys, they're playing at such a high level together. And I just wonder, big picture, like how much do you like that pairing in terms of the here and now, but also the future? Because we always talk about this big trade that's coming. And uh, I don't know, is, maybe is Julius Randle – showing you so much that you almost can't put them in a deal. I don't know. It's just one of those things that you think about. But let's let's stay in the present for now because one thing, one thing you're seeing with this Nick team is the OG Ananobi effect. Uh, I'm coming in here and just not even really uh, knowing the system early on and impacting the game at such a high level. One thing I thought in, was interesting from last night was that he, he was saying that uh, Precious Achua and himself, Malachi Flynn, a couple other guys, they're going to practice – early 
every time the Knicks practice or work out, they're showing up early, hour early, more. And they're watching film with coaches to get up to speed on the playbook. And I think with Achua, you're seeing that work pay dividends on the court. But with OG, it just seems like his natural instincts early on uh, were enough. And now that he's starting to learn the plays, learn the sets, I mean, the way he covers ground on the defensive end, just extremely impressive. And for you, do you see, like, what's what's the biggest factor for you in this 10-2 and two stretch? Well, I, I think, like you said, it's just all the pieces fit together. You know, it's not just necessarily about going and getting guys that are going to fill up the stat sheet and produce in different categories. You mentioned the traits of those three players in particular. I think they're selfless players, you know, doing the things that they have to do to get caught up to speed with some of the other players that have obviously been here a lot longer, getting up to par with the system. You know, it, it's worked fantastic for them. And, and, and to the point that you made a little bit earlier about, you know, Randall and Brunson, I even like tweeted this out last night, which remember Ian back in the day, the old NBA jam game, how great it was. Like imagine like if they had yeah. the updated version, how fun Randall and Brunson would be is like the dynamic duo for oh, the Knicks yeah. to play in the NBA. It would be great, you know, yeah. and yeah. you know, you're getting two all-stars doing their thing. Um, I don't think fans could have asked for anything more than what you've gotten. And I've always been a Julius Randall defender, even though he had his slip ups in the playoffs and he was battling injuries and this and that when fans wanted to run him out of town, I mean, the grass isn't always greener. You're talking about a guy, two of the last three years, all-star, all-NBA. You know, those are, those guys don't come around here that often, and they haven't for this franchise for a long time. Dan, I was a Hornets guy on NBA Jam. I was LJ, and I think it was Muggsy Bogues or LJ and Alonzo. That was my that was oh, my yeah. go-to. But, Scott, thank you for, for jumping back in with us here. We're talking <laughs> yeah, about Julius yeah, Randle, man. The, the, no, yeah. no problem. No problem. It's uh, modern technology, right? We're talking about Julius exactly. And uh, just you, your your perspective on Julius is unique. Obviously, you signed him 2019, and you you saw his progression, his ups, his downs, how he handled things. What, what, how do you reflect on how he has played from when he came here and how he's playing now and just kind of his path? First of all, I'm just so proud of Julius Randle and to have been part of his journey uh, there in New York uh, from the very beginning. You see, you see, no one more than Julius wants to do big things and accomplish big things as a basketball player, and, and not only as an individual, but as a teammate in helping that organization win. And so it took him a little while to adjust to playing in New York like it does any basketball player. Well, before I got to the Knicks, that was always talked about amongst players that it's different playing for the New York Knicks. And Julius had to go through that. I think he was trying so hard to please so many people in the beginning that it led to some of his struggles. But I've watched the growth and maturation over the years. That guy, every summer, goes, he studies his play, he watches a ton of film, uh, but he, he, <clears throat> he goes on that court and figures out where he needs to get better. And the beauty of what he's doing this year is he didn't have the opportunity this offseason to work like he normally works on his game due to mm -hmm. the surgery that he had. Yep. And so he came, came back to the beginning of the season a little rusty, not having been able to play five-on-five five in the offseason. And he struggled early. But what I think it allowed him to do, and this is where the maturity came in, he didn't he quit trying to force things. He became a much better passer. He was always a capable passer, but he wasn't forcing things as much. Early in the season, he was leading the team in assists. And then he started attacking the rim. And that's 
really the strongest suit of his game. You know, yeah, we're, we live in an age where people want to see more three-point shots. But the bread and butter who Julius Randle is, is his force and physicality at attacking the basket. And he, when he establishes that each and every night, it takes some of the pressure off of the three-point shooting. So you, now you can lower his number of three-point attempts, you know, but he's establishing a good game early on by attacking the rim, getting to the free throw line, seeing the ball go through the basket, makes those three-point shots when he does take them a little bit easier for him, more in rhythm, less forced. And therefore, I think it makes him a better team basketball player for this New York group. And I heard Dan talk a little bit about it. And the last thing I'll say about Julius Randle, there's no player on that roster that wants to play 82 games each and every year more than Julius Randle. And I would say that across the league, that means something to him. And that meant something to us, you know, when we wanted to sign this young man. He loves to play the game. He's going to be there to compete each and every night. And again, to watch his leadership evolve and his growth as a, a, a personality. He took a lot of criticism in New York. He's come through on the other side. And I just think you're getting the best version of him now this season. And let's see how far he and Brunson and the rest of the guys can go. Dan, your perspective on, on Julius and where he is right now. No, I mean, to Scott's point, and I think that you've seen a maturation with Julius coming into this year, and I'm glad that he brought up the fact that, you know, his three-point attempts aren't where they were in previous seasons. I think this year he's shooting maybe three or four less threes per game. I mean, look at last night. Last night he took 19 shots. Only two of them were from beyond the arc, right? You don't have to necessarily force things. And, you know, Julius, one of the great traits that he has that not a lot of other players have, I mean, think about the size and the strength that he brings to the court each and every night. Why wouldn't you want to use that to your advantage? You know, play a little bully ball. Get down in the pain area. Use your muscle to get easy baskets near the rim. And you're seeing that this year. And I think that it's been the best version of Julius Randle. And, and I can add, look, a lot of players do not like facing that physicality for 48 minutes, too. There's very few to do. And so uh, Julius is really using that to his advantage. And uh, I think it's working great for him and it's working great for the team. And standing next to that guy in the locker room, I could see why even the biggest guys in the league would not want to deal with that possession by possession. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, We're going to segue because it involves Julius, but we're going to segue to segment we call stargazing, where we kind of look ahead big picture with the Knicks because the Knicks, let's face it, we all know they're in the market for a star player eventually, whether it's at the deadline, which I don't think it's at the deadline or in the offseason or next year, uh, Nick Governor owner Jim Dolan on the record is saying you bring a guy like Leon Rose in here because he can get you the best talent. So it's not a secret. Nick's looking to make a big deal at some point. Now, who is it going to be? You know, I think a lot of that depends on what happens in the postseason. Uh, I would keep an eye on Minnesota, uh, particularly with the financial implications there of the big Anthony Edwards deal. Uh, McDaniel's extension, Nas Reed, you signed him last year to a big deal, and obviously go bear. So it's a lot of money, a lot of a big bill to pay for the Timberwolves, and then uh, you look elsewhere just to see how things shake out in the postseason. But in a in a big picture sense, I'm wondering, Scott, like you know, there's not a ton for them to trade outside of the first round picks that they have. So maybe, like Julius, probably not probably is the best. Uh, player asset that they would have to move. You know, is, is there a, a world where you bring that big star in 
and you have Julius and you have Jalen and it works? Or do you do you not see a world where that particular scenario, depending on a player, works? Well, let me first say this when, uh, you know, I hear this often about the Knicks needing another star. Sometimes you end up having homegrown stars. And look, Jalen Brunson was signed last summer. Look at him now. You know, this is his second year there. More than likely, he's going to be an all-star, right? Julius Randle has been all-NBA twice. So you have two very good players already in the building, star-level players. Now, they may not be the marketable stars. You know, they may not be uh, Giannis and uh, Embiid and, and Jokic. But do they need another star to go with those guys? Or do they need just another very good basketball player who could do some of the things we talked about earlier in the show? Create some offense, score, um, and take a little of the, the scoring load, pressure off of both Brunson and Randall. So, uh, yeah, the Knicks are in position to be fluid, to go after somebody if they become available. But I wouldn't just put all my eggs in that basket just to say, well, they've got to go out and get, you know, the biggest name in the league in order to be successful. Let's see what this current iteration can do because we, we haven't seen them with Mitchell Robinson as well, too. So even, you know, OG's come over has made a, a big impact thus far, especially on the defensive end, uh, adding size and versatility with his ability to defend. But let's, you know, I would like to, you know, personally just kind of pump the brakes on saying, hey, they got to get another big name guy to be successful. You know, let's let's see what this group does the remainder of this year. And if it's going to happen, it probably would have, have to happen in the summertime anyway. I don't see anything on the horizon here prior to the deadline. So I would uh, not be much, too much worried about that right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting point. Just kind of letting things simmer, <laughs> letting letting the pieces kind of develop chemistry and, and seeing where it goes. Uh, big picture sense. I think, you know, obviously that's on the table for this group, but you know, we've been screaming about a star for since Leon uh, took over. And again, I don't, I don't think it's based on just us, uh, uh, you know, pulling things out of thin air. I think that's a real thing, uh, whether it ultimately happens or not, we'll see. But Dan, when you look at the landscape, you look at the roster, you look at what could be out there, you have an ideal candidate as far as big big name player Knicks could, should trade for. Well, I, I mean, I'm a little bit partial to the guy who scored 70 the other night and who's the reigning MVP. I think he would be a nice <laughs> fit too, you know. But but not a bad know, player. I, I really no, not a bad player. I think we might have lost Dan there uh, for a second. He was getting into Joel Embiid and Joel over Embiid's the last few was, years. Oh, Dan's Nets. back. And they had their big three, or at least they tried to construct some version of a big three, and it didn't work out for them. So. What the Knicks have with these two players right now who are all-stars, who are dependable players, you know what you're getting from Randall and Brunson night in and night out. Would you rather have that, even though it's not a quote-unquote big three, or would you rather roll the dice and hope that all three guys are on the court at the same time or two of the three, and that it's for extended periods of time where you're getting that production here? Like, the Knicks have a good thing right now, okay? It might not be necessarily one that's going to lead to a parade, but... 
You don't always just want to punt on something that's pretty darn good. And I'm kind of siding with Scott in terms of let this thing play out and see how far you could take it first. Scott, one one other thing I wanted to hit on just in terms of the current Knicks. And, and obviously, we, you're here just analyzing the team, and we really appreciate that. We're not going to jump into the, the history of, of everything in New York. We just want to talk about this year's team and Evan Fournier. Um, with a with a player like that, I mean, he's been on ice for so long, and you know, his you almost like really hurt his. You did hurt his career with the way things went. It's a business. He's he's making good money, so I know there's not going to be a lot of sympathy for him. But there's a human element here where <clears throat> I think sometimes teams they want to do right by a player and put him in a better situation if the situation with them is not good. With Evan Fournier, they have the team option uh, for next year, so they don't have to do anything. They could pick up the team option, include him in a trade, but then you're having him sit around for another three months, let's say at least. How do you balance the human element of of wanting to do uh, the right thing for a player in Fournier's situation versus doing the right thing for your organization when you're in that seat? Great question. Uh, First of all, let me just say, the professional that Evan Fournier is. You know, I've known Evan for a long time, worked with him in Orlando, so I know him well before he even got to New York and just how he's handled everything since coming there, both playing to not playing. Uh, he's been a tremendous uh, professional. Look, those are, you know, these are the, the tough things in the business, uh, trying to balance what's good for both player and team Sometimes they don't always align. Uh, My guess would be, you know, coming up to the deadline, he is an attractive trade candidate for other teams because, again, he's viewed as around the league as an inspiring contract. You mentioned the the fact of if they kept him past the deadline, they could actually pick up his option and use him in the trade this offseason. I think, you know, he's been sitting so long right now. Um, the key, if you're there, you just got to be open and honest with him. Keep him uh, looped in with any kind of communications that you're having regarding him and whether or not a trade before the deadline is going to be possible or not. I think that's the, you know, that's the best that you can do right now is be open and honest with him and be inclusive with him in terms of, what's going on with his future so he can set himself up mentally that okay i could be here past the deadline so i know how i have to approach this thing or if they give me the 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 feel that i might be gone i can you know start getting myself together mentally to go somewhere else and maybe have a chance to play uh before the season is up that's a great perspective and i think the human element is lost on fans sometimes which is understandable you're rooting for the jersey um, but it is there kind of behind the scenes. Dan, another name that has been kind of dangled out there with the Knicks and they have taken calls on him is, is Quentin Grimes. Uh, where you sit, how do you want to see this Grimes situation handled? You think they should move him for uh, one of the, the off the bench players that we're talking about? Hang on to him. What would you do? Well, I think that the status quo is probably something that's going to have to be executed here moving forward, because, I mean, the reality of the situation, guys, is that for, you know, I guess reasons unknown to us, I mean, he's kind of fallen out of favor a little bit with the staff. I mean, look, since the trade was made with Toronto, I mean, Quentin Grimes' minutes are down. 
And everybody thought that before the trade was made, him being moved to the bench would give him more of an opportunity to kind of get into the flow offensively a little bit more. Remember, he was in a starting five that had Julius Randle, that had Jalen Brunson, had R.J. Barrett, three ball-dominant players. So it was tough for Quinton to kind of get his shot. So he moves to the second unit. You thought that that would help alleviate that concern, and it just hasn't happened yet here for him. So I think that there's still value around the league for Quinton Grimes and to what he could bring defensively and if he could ever consistently start knocking down those shots, I think there are teams in the NBA that value him, but you also just don't want to give him away either because I do think he could be a valuable, he is a valuable asset for you in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, there's no doubt. And I, I do think, to your point, Dan, there was an expectation from Grimes and even some people at the Knicks that Grimes was going to get more minutes in the wake of the in and OB deal. Uh, it hadn't happened. But I do think, like, if he was shooting the ball lights out and, and defending really well, he would still be starting. And the idea that Dante DiVincenzo has come in and really played well in that role, I think that hurts Grimes' opportunity for minutes. Uh, I, I think right now, if I'm guessing, more likely than not that he's moved by February 8th. But there's always moving parts and things changing quickly at this time of year in the NBA. That'll do it for us. We are going to come back Wednesday at noon, next putback, we want to thank Scott Perry, former Knicks GM, longtime NBA executive, currently an ESPN front office analyst, so you can see his work there. And also our good friend, Dan Grassa, obviously pre-post on the Knicks, and also the Dan Grassa Show weeknights on ESPN Radio. Dan, we love hearing you there. Thank you for jumping on with us. And again, for the putback, we will be back Wednesday noon, talking more trade deadline, talking more Knicks and different options out there. And we look forward to seeing everybody then.